Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Germany in Focus, a news podcast made possible by members of The Local. Today we have a very special episode for you. We are answering questions from podcast listeners and readers of The Local. So for the next wee while, we are going to try and answer your questions about life in Germany, from what it's like as a new parent here to the culture around saying happy birthday and even some citizenship questions because we know that this is a big topic for you. I'm Rachel Oxen and I'm here in Berlin today with journalist Imogen Goodman and Aaron Burnett and we'll also hear from the local Germany editor Rachel Stern later. Hi guys, are you excited for this? Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the best parts of being part of a local is getting to make sure our readers and listeners have that info for what they really need for life here. And I'm excited to find out actually um, what's been on your minds. We've got a lot going on lately from citizenships to strikes. So it's great to check in. Definitely. Are you well, Imogen? I'm very well, thank you. And also really excited to uh, listen to some of these questions, hopefully give uh, good answers for you guys. And I love this dialogue, actually. It's really, yes. really lovely. Um, to hear from other kind of foreigners in Germany and um, see what's on their minds, just as Aaron says. Agree. So let's get straight into it because we have a lot of questions to get through today. We honestly had brilliant questions submitted to us. So thank you so much. If we don't answer your questions today, we'll definitely take a look for a future episode and we'll also answer some on the local Germany website. Just make sure to keep listening and check on the website as well. So let's start with this question from a reader in Dortmund. Do you have to pay taxes on foreign income in Germany? So I guess this could mean, for example, if you have a home, you're renting out abroad and making money from it, or if you're getting income from other sources, not in Germany, and maybe various other things. Aaron, do you want to take this one? Well, the short answer is yes. If you are legally resident in Germany, you have to pay taxes on all your income wherever in the world you earn it. And I know this myself since I sometimes write for Canadian, British, and Irish publications, uh, but I still have to report that income to the German Finanzamt. If you have a property abroad that you might get rental income for, it's the same thing. Now, the tricky question comes up around double taxation. Uh, Germany does have double taxation treaties with many countries to try and prevent you from being hit twice. Mm -hmm. That can happen in two ways. It might be that if you prove that you've paid the tax abroad, you might be exempt from paying it in Germany or you simply pay it here and you don't have to pay it abroad. So this is the exemption method. Otherwise, you might end up being subject to what's called the crediting method. This basically means that if you had to pay the tax abroad, you can deduct that amount from your German tax liability. Mm. Um, for many cases, you pay taxes, though, where you're resident, in this case here and not in the other country. If in doubt, though, we suggest contacting a tax advisor familiar with international tax law and treaties. And you can find a few names in some of the articles we've done on tax in the past for some of those. Absolutely. Really great answer, Aaron, because it is really confusing when it comes to tax, isn't it? And I think that, like you said, a, a tax advisor, if you do have various different incomes coming in, could be really helpful. Mm -hmm, definitely. Okay, here's another good one from a listener in Nuremberg. Is it still really bad luck to wish a German happy birthday? 
before their birthday? Or is this something <laughs> that used to be true that's not true anymore? Uh, it comes back to a discussion of German habits. <laughs> I know. We did talk about that uh, last week. I still think it's bad luck to do that, mm. to be honest. Germans would not be super happy if you said happy birthday before someone's actual birthday. That does happen a lot in the UK, for example. You would kind of say happy birthday for the day or something like that. One thing I think Germans still like to do is the tradition of Rheinfeiern, where, where you, which literally means kind of celebrating into something. So you're, mm -hmm. you celebrate your birthday, you meet in the evening, And then the clock strikes midnight and then you can say happy birthday or alles Gute zum Geburtstag. And I still hear that in bars and stuff sometimes. I think they do that. It remains bad luck to uh, wish a German happy birthday before their birthday. The reason is actually fairly morbid because if you ask them why, they'll sit there and say, well, you know, I could die before my birthday. And how would you feel then? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's... well, then you've heard happy birthday at least. <laughs> There, you, I mean, you know. You meet your mortal cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I have to say, though, I love Rheinfeiern. The very first birthday uh, I had when um, I came here, uh, my friends and my flatmates surprised me with a cake at midnight. Uh, and it was totally unexpected and really wonderful. And it, it's basically like your own New Year's Eve, you know, except it's for you. It's, it's really great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I can only highly recommend it. It's one example of how we can go native a bit. And it's, it's a nice tradition to adopt, I think. Definitely. I think it, it avoids that thing of like waking up, being alone on your birthday or having a sad start to the day. It's like that sort of traditional children's cartoon story mm -hmm. where you think everyone's forgotten your birthday. But if they're right there, they haven't. Yeah. Um, so I love Ryan Fine as well. Um, on the subject of kind of wishing people happy birthday in advance, or even uh, the cardinal sin is celebrating your birthday in advance. Um, <laughs> I actually discovered this when my friend Eddie organized a hiking trip. I think his birthday was on the Tuesday, and he said, "Well, I'll just do it the weekend before." And his housemates refused to come. They were really <gasps> shocked that he was he was doing this. But that's quite an extreme example. I would say if you do accidentally have that slip of the tongue where someone's leaving, you say, oh, happy birthday for next... I don't think they take it too seriously. Yeah. They'll probably laugh it off. So don't worry. That's It's a superstition, but not one I think anyone's really going to hate you for. <laughs> That's true. And not a superstition, but one thing I found when I, I moved to Germany was that if it is your birthday and you're going into work or something, you are expected to bring the cake right. or the yes. dessert or whatever it is to celebrate. And usually, at least in the UK, some, the people would get you a cake. Yeah. So that's a little bit different. Yeah, it's it certainly is. Celebrate my special day with my terrible <laughs> baking. <laughs> okay, so we have this question that someone posted on our Facebook page. Is it possible to get a good job without either speaking or writing in German? And how do you do that? Imogen, what would you say to that? Yeah, this is a really great question. And I think one that a lot of foreigners have to kind of grapple with, whether they're here or they're kind of considering moving here. So I'll see if I can kind of summarize all angles of it the, the best I can. So is it possible? Yes, it absolutely is. But 
to be honest, it will be slightly trickier um, if you do have that language barrier to contend with. So the first thing to know about the German job market is that there are huge shortages of skilled labour, whether that's in the care industry, in health, in IT, in teaching or in engineering. So many companies are absolutely falling over themselves to hire workers from abroad right now. So you really do have every chance of finding a fulfilling and successful career in the sector of your choice in Germany, with or without German. One issue foreigners do face, however, is the fact that some HR departments and legacy companies are a little bit stuck in their ways. So job adverts will be often posted in German and there tends to be a bit of a rigid attitude uh, sometimes towards people from abroad who maybe don't have those perfect language skills just yet. And that can lead to perfectly good candidates feeling that they're getting rejections that, that weren't quite fair. So rather than getting discouraged, I'd really say that the situation in Germany right now means that people who are looking for English language jobs just need to be a little bit smarter about the way they go about it. So, for instance, uh, you might want to research the industries and types of companies that are open to English speakers in particular. So off the top of my head, we've got IT, we've got finance, engineering, things like international sales, customer service and marketing. Those are all kind of big sectors that will really appreciate foreign language skills, not just English, but any other languages you can bring to the table. Places like Berlin and other parts of Germany also have a booming startup scene at the moment. And the great thing about startups is that they tend to use English as their main language rather than German. So that's really, really great place to start for English speakers. Finally, I'd say when it when it comes to kind of finding and applying for these jobs, networking is really important if you don't have those German skills. So maybe you could start attending conferences, job fairs, industry events, uh, wherever you can. One tip from careers coach Chris Payak, who's a, a good friend of the local, is also to Try and bypass those um, old-fashioned HR departments where you can maybe start taking the initiative, contacting hiring managers directly on websites like LinkedIn, and just basically trying to showcase who you are, how you can solve their problems, and really building up this network of people who know who you are and what you can do for their company. Final tip is to adapt your CV to the German format and just make sure it's as polished and professional as it can be. And then you'll be on a really good starting point to really find those great jobs in English rather than in German. And I think what Imogen said there is really key. Uh, the advice from Chris, I think that piece of, of advice is so key because as Imogen says, sometimes it's it's the companies that yes. are kind of set in their ways. And, and that's a problem, not really, you know, the government, uh, for example, which has recently passed all of this immigration reform including um, the possibility of being able to come if you don't speak German yet, but have enough points and other ways to make up for that. So that advice of trying to kind of get around those HR departments is particularly valuable. Definitely. The visa side of things shouldn't be a problem and hopefully neither should finding that job while you're here. Really good advice there. On to a political one now. One person asked how would Germany with a far-right government look? And this is quite an interesting one because we have been talking about the possibility of the alternative for Germany or AFD rising up since it's doing well in the polls in the last few episodes. So Aaron, what would you say to this question? How would it look? Um, so I think we would be seeing a lot of clearly very, very anti-immigrant legislation if that happened. Certainly a huge uh, 
rise in deportations, probably a lockdown on the kinds of reforms that we've seen lately, on certainly on immigration, mm-hmm. uh, and perhaps also on citizenship, if that ever happened. I mean, recently, we've heard calls from the AFD saying they want a Dexit referendum about Germany leaving the European Union, even though most Germans absolutely do not support this, including actually, interestingly, over half of AFD voters don't actually support a Dexit. And we'd also see, you know, probably a huge end to Germany's role in, in assisting places like Ukraine um, against Russian aggression. So it would be, you know, there, there's a lot of things to be scared of that would happen. That said, I don't really think it's going to happen um, nationally anyway. The answer to this question, you know, could we actually have one depends on what level of government you're looking at locally. We've already seen an AFD candidate win a mayoral race in eastern Germany in the town of Pirna. On the state level, AFD is riding high in the polls in many eastern states, over 30% in Saxony, Brandenburg and Thuringia, for example, all of which vote later on this year. That makes it increasingly difficult to form a state-level government without it, even if Germany's proportional voting system prevents them from getting more than half the seats without at least half the votes. But they may argue that they should still have a shot at trying to form a government if they come first, which they are um, expected to. That'd be a minority government in a case like that. However, mm-hmm. uh, Germany's other political parties maintain a Brandmauer. That's a word you'll probably see a lot lately in, in German media. It's a firewall against working with or going into coalition with the AFD. And that's why you see a lot of three-party coalitions in eastern states. They band together to keep the AFD out. Um, and that includes the center-right Christian Democrats or the CDU. Now, I bring them up because I often get a lot of questions about whether the CDU would go into coalition with the AfD, especially because the CDU is currently leading German polls at over 30%. Nationally, the AfD is in second on about 20%. And these people often point out that Friedrich Metz, the current CDU leader, is a lot more conservative than his predecessors. And mathematically, if you add up those two uh, poll percentages together, you could have, theoretically speaking anyway, a right-wing two-party coalition. And that stokes up a lot of fears, especially among foreigners, especially those who aren't quite familiar, as familiar yet maybe with the German political system, being recent arrivals, that kind of thing. But it's something I don't expect to happen, at least not in the near future. And that's not just because Metz himself recently ruled out forming coalitions with uh, the AFD. But most CDU members and most regular CDU voters, actually, according to polls, oppose the idea to the point where I think any CDU leader who went ahead in forming a coalition with the AFD would really be committing political suicide, Mm -hmm. (laughs) both by alienating most of their own voters and probably also by inviting an intra-party revolt within the CDU from CDU MPs and state premiers demanding said leader's political head on a plate, really. Even a suggestion that Metz made recently about informally cooperating with the AFD just locally invited a lot of pointed reactions from powerful CDU state leaders. The CDU premier of North Rhine-Westphalia called the AfD a Nazi party. Berlin's mayor, also CDU, says his party shouldn't work with a party that has basically hate as its business model, mm-hmm. um, to, mm-hmm. to quote him. If you talk to most CDU MPs, they'll say, we're open to coalitions with all of Germany's democratic parties. We don't work with extremists, including the far left and the far right. They see themselves as sensible moderates, even if other people might not see them that way. That is how they see them themselves, and I don't think that they are keen to, to ruin their own self-image, at least. So I just don't see any other political party agreeing to work with the AFD anytime soon. And 20% in the polls, big number, sure, but it's nowhere near what's needed for an absolute majority under the German system, and we have only ever seen one of those in modern German history, all the way back in 1957. 
So unlikely, mm. I would say. Yeah, I think I think those are really, really good points. I think it is very, very unlikely that we will see the AFD in the driving seat anytime soon. One thing I have noticed, which also echoes what's happened in the UK, is that the pressure of the AFD has led to more of this anti-migrant rhetoric. Uh, so we're seeing also a tougher line on asylum seekers and those kind of policies that are quite sort of anti-migrant, sort of seeping into the mainstream. But I think one key difference between these parties that are adopting this rhetoric and the AFD is fundamentally that one side believes in democracy and the other side doesn't. One side believes in German institutions, the other side doesn't. In a far-right government, we would have real attacks on the press, on freedom of speech, on all of those expressions, the right to own a business for certain groups, and really dismantling of these institutions that are really what Germany is. So as long as we have this brand mauer, I think those institutions are relatively safe. Our constitution is safe. So, yeah, I agree with Aaron. There's some cause to worry, but not uh, to the extent that we think we would see this party and these forces taking over anytime soon. And coming back to that point about the presence of the AfD sort of influencing other uh, other discussions the way that, for example, UKIP um, did in the UK at the state level, we might see a little bit more evidence of that even than even on the national level, um, we could see some informal cooperation where a conservative party like the CDU in a state like Turinga is only able to pass laws it knows the AFD is going to vote for. Um, so, uh, it, you know, they might make those laws a little bit, you know, more extreme than they normally would because uh, they they know that um, to pass it with a parliament like that, they kind of need those votes, even if they don't talk to the AFD at all about drafting that law. Um, but yeah, as Imogen said, I don't expect the AFD day to be in the driver's seat um, anytime mm. soon, particularly nationally. Yeah. And also we are seeing the IFD being kind of surveyed more by the security services. And so I think we are in a little bit of a different territory with like what's going on with that. There has been a lot of talk about should the AFD be banned and, and mm -hmm. that kind of thing, whether that would happen or not, who knows. But I think really that the party is under the spotlight at the moment as well. So mm -hmm. I think we don't know how things will play out, but definitely Definitely, people are very uncomfortable because they are acting unconstitutionally uh, a lot of the time. So I think it's a it's an it's an interesting time in mm. politics. And the big question is, well, how, how high is their ceiling? That's the question mm. everyone's trying to answer as well. Have they hit it? And that's mm. kind of as high as they can go. Mm. Or you know, can they can they get more votes? Really interesting. Thank you so much to you both for your input on that. Let's hear now from Rachel Stern, the local Germany's editor. Rachel is the only one of us who has a, a child. She has a two-year-old daughter. So she is the best person to answer this question from a listener. Can you shed some light on life as a new parent and an expat in Germany? Sure. So this is a pretty broad question and there's a lot of things to talk about here. Um, and I guess it also depends where you're coming from and how long you've been living in Germany before. I lived in Berlin for nearly a decade before my daughter was born. 
but it felt like I was moving to the city all over again because of all the things that I started to notice for the very first time. All of a sudden, I noticed how cool the Berlin playgrounds were, and I had never really noticed them and just walked past them. And I started noticing just how much open space there really was and um, how great it is for kids to be able to roam around while also having, you know, the urban experience. And so, you know, I was starting to see the city from the eyes of a parent, but that meant conversely, I started to notice um, or at least get really annoyed by some aspects of German culture, like how much everybody smokes. And I would go out of my way, go on side streets to avoid um, all of the people who would just obliviously walk past me while I had a baby carrier and keep uh, puffing away heavily. And yeah, just all these aspects of German culture that I could live with all of a sudden felt like they were really putting a damper on my experience, just how people don't say hi or or is outwardly friendly. And, you know, I started to say hi to people here for the first time because I wanted to set a good example for my daughter. But, you know, it's kind of funny because it felt as well like I was being reborn as a German because I literally started to see Germany from the eyes of somebody who has their very first day here and all of the things that they go through from the start and, you know, how right when a child is born, they already are giving them a tax ID number. They're already organizing <laughs> doctor's appointments for like the next two years. And I started to think, no wonder Germans are so organized and strategic. This is just the sort of society that they are growing up in. And I also started to see aspects of German culture that I had never really noticed before, or even just learn songs, which Germans could just recite or sing from heart, but were obviously not a part of my life before. Like when I was at a swim class, when my daughter was seven months old and everybody started to sing this goodbye song and I was just awkwardly mouthing the words as they um, obviously knew the lyrics quite well. Just little things like that. And, and the very last point that I'll get to, Rach, is it also started making me feel slightly more integrated. Like I had never really made small talk with Germans before, but it was a very different story when my child um, was swinging next to theirs at the playground and we started talking about the weather or just random things going on. So in a sense, being a parent here makes you feel like you're going native because all of a sudden you start to stand out as a local. Like when I was pushing around a stroller for the first time, people would be coming up to me and asking me for directions or even asking asking me for advice on the best ice cream shop around and things like that were never really on their radar. I could have just been a tourist before I was here, um, obviously standing out as a mother trying to find her bearings. <laughs> really nice. So there is quite a lot of bureaucracy, which we would probably say for all kinds of German life, but that extra bureaucracy when you have a, a, a new baby, but overall a positive experience. Overall, a positive experience. There is loads and loads of bureaucracy, but I must say that you have this extra burst of energy when you know you're taking care of it all on behalf of your child and somehow that felt easier to get through than before. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much for that, Rachel. Let me also ask you while I've got you, we got a question from a reader and they said, as a person who was born in Germany and is now a US citizen, can I retire in Germany as a German citizen? What would you say to that? You're a US citizen yourself. <laughs> that is very true, Rach. So if this person happens to have double citizenship, 
then the answer is very easy. They simply come here and that's that with their savings. They don't have to prove anything, but it sounds like the person has not lived in Germany for a very long time, probably does not hold German citizenship. And there it gets a little bit more complicated. So as an American, they can easily come here for three months um, just on a regular tourist visa. And during those three months, they can make an appointment with the immigration authorities. And even if that appointment is seven months later, they'll have that amount of time to stay in the country. And by the time they do have their appointment, they're going to need to prove that they have at least 1,200 in savings per month to support them. They're going to need to show their health insurance. And that's pretty much it. Um, if they don't actually have a job because they're retired, they won't need to show any of the typical letters that a freelancer or employed person would, but essentially having sufficient funds and health insurance, which could be a little bit trickier the older you get, um, are the two main components that they'll need. Excellent. Thank you so much for that, Rachel. You're welcome, Rach. Let's move on to some more citizenship-related questions. We have a good one. <laughs> I know. We have a good one talking about the fast-track route for citizenship. So under the new law, which should be coming into force around May, people will be eligible to apply for German citizenship after five years instead of eight years. And the fast-track option is three years. So a listener from Karlsruhe asks... When applying for citizenship after three years under the new law, what is the meaning of special integration and how can this be achieved? Is this in addition to C1 level German or is the C1 German itself a mark of special integration? Imogen, what do you think? This is um, actually a bit of a confusing one because under the current law, getting the fast track citizenship after six years simply requires either some form of special integration or B2 German, and that basically counts as special integration. So I can see where the confusion is there. In the new law, this has been really tightened up. So that means you not only need C1 German, uh, but you also need to have some kind of proof of exceptional integration into German life. And what's that mean? Well, it's all a bit vague at the moment, but in the law, it's summarized as particularly good school, vocational or professional achievements, or civic commitment. So to make that a little bit more concrete, that means that if you've maybe reached a high level in your profession, if you maybe have a master's or doctorate uh, from a German un university perhaps, or maybe you work in the civil service um, as a Beamter, or you volunteer regularly at a local community project, maybe a, a refugee charity, all of those things seem like the kind of things that could give you a good basis to argue that you've hit that bar of special integration. As I say, with many of these things, we really do have to see how the law is applied before we have concrete examples. But if you're stuck or you think maybe you could have a case, I reckon an immigration lawyer would be able to help you uh, say whether that case is realistic and even help you argue that to uh, your local citizenship authority if you did want to get that fast track after three years. 
Definitely. So make sure you take a note of all of the extra things <laughs> you're doing. <laughs> I, well, I think volunteering at a refugee charity or another charity while you do your doctorate and work as a CEO of your your uh, your company, I think those could uh, those could qualify you quite well while getting C1. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean that's the hard one, right? Because it's the second highest um, level, so oh, it's God. a it's a big one. But um, you know, like like charity work, even political engagement, if you're a member of the political mm. party. If That's you are right. on a fine, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you're or, friends with your neighbor, does that count? <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I don't know if that's quite enough. I get them to sign. For me. <laughs> if you have a fax machine, you can uh, dispense there you with go, all yeah, fax okay. machine. That's fax the bottom line. The ticket, yeah. <laughs> okay, another one on citizenship regarding some of the restrictions that might come up. So the question is. The law states that an applicant for naturalization will have had to have been in full-time employment or otherwise able to provide for themselves and their family without resorting to unemployment benefits for at least 20 out of the last 24 months. What if I work full-time and my wife works part-time and we have no kids? Can my wife apply for citizenship? Well, this is a tricky one, and it's certainly one of the questions that we have asked quite a bit while going through this particular law. And based on the information we have, the answer is yes, she likely can. What's important here is that people applying for citizenship are able to support themselves without recourse to the state. If your wife works part-time, but you still have enough to support yourselves between you two with the two of those uh, salaries together, if one is full-time and one is part-time, you should be good to go. And that's also particularly true if you might have income from other sources, if you have rental income, if you own your own place, that's another thing. You know, you can go to the land registry office, take out that registry document and say, well, this also sort of proves that we have the ability to support ourselves here. Any documentation you have that can sort of support your case if you're in a situation like this is good to to take up. But our best understanding would be that, yes, um, in this situation, yeah, eligibility would remain. Yeah, it's based, as Aaron says, on on household income. So Mm -hmm. you guys would be seen as a unit there, even if one partner doesn't work, but the other is supporting them. And the main thing is that you're not relying on the state. Mm -hmm. There has been quite a lot of discussion in the law, which we saw when the draft was coming together about, you know, would people fall through the cracks if they, Mm. for example, work part time or they are a single parent, they do have to access more benefits for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. So that is an issue that we are seeing coming up quite a lot, right? That's definitely the key thing. It's the reliance on the state. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing, though, is is that it's a reliance on long-term unemployment Mm -hmm. benefit that seems to be the biggest sticking point authors of this law wanted to prevent. So if you are unemployed for a short period of time, you know, a couple of months, you're on the year that you have the Arbeitslosengeld one benefit rather than Bürgergeld, you're pretty good there. The problem seems to arise when you're on when you're on Bürgergeld. If you are a single parent and you draw Kindergeld, um, Kindergeld um, or child allowance is one thing you are in fact allowed to draw on without um, any complications to your citizenship application. Okay, and I think the the best thing, if there are any particular questions, to check with a an expert, a lawyer, if you you know in your particular case, if you do run into any issues. Absolutely. Another question: Some people are wondering, can I leave Germany while my citizenship application is being processed, since it could take a number of years? Imogen, what do you reckon? 
Oh, well, uh, there is, there's, a, there's a long answer and a short answer, and the short answer is no. Um, <laughs> so, of course, you are more than welcome to go on holiday while you're waiting for your application to be processed. No one's going to kind of tie you to like, stop you leaving the country at all uh, for trips. So don't worry, you won't, you won't have to kind of stay put that long. And you can even take longer holidays. You can go traveling for a couple of months. But for the purposes of naturalization, you still do have to be a full-time resident of Germany or at least have your main residence here. So that means that if you move away, you register somewhere else, you probably won't be eligible to apply for citizenship anymore, especially if you stay out of the country for a length of time that kind of invalidates your current residence or work permit. So most permanent residence permits only allow you to stay out of the country for up to six months at a time. Uh, so it's also worth keeping that in mind if you're planning any sort of major trips. There are a few exceptions. So one of them is, for instance, having to do compulsory uh, military service in your home country. Uh, so if you are wondering about the specifics of your case, if there's an urgent reason you do have to be out of the country, it may be worth speaking to an immigration lawyer who could help you navigate the rules and find out if these exceptions do apply to you. Okay, that's it for this week. Thank you once again to our listeners. Thank you for submitting your questions, for all of your great reviews and ratings and for checking in with us every week. We're very happy. I hope you enjoyed this special episode and thank you to our lovely panelists as well, Imogen Goodman and Aaron Burnett. They really did a great job of answering your questions. And we also heard from Rachel Stern, uh, the local Germany editor this week, which was brilliant. Our sound engineer is Reese Edwards. I'm Rachel Loxton. We hope you enjoyed listening and we'll be back again next week. Until then, take care. 